How's everybody doing? Now that you've all been lied to, let me get out here and tell the truth, okay? Kidding. Hey, but like Alex said, my name is Marshall Peterson, and let me just say, happy St. Patrick's Day. I hope that you had a good spring break. Everybody done with spring break? You're ready to send your kids back off to school because they've been driving you a banana sandwich for the past uh, few days. But St. Patrick's Day kind of means a, a few different things to a few different people, right? Obviously, if you're Irish, it's a big deal. You celebrate the life of St. Patrick, the arrival of Christianity in Ireland. You get to celebrate the culture and the heritage of, of the Irish. And then uh, my mom and dad, they're celebrating 46 years of marriage today. That's a, yeah, that's, that's a long time to be married, isn't it? Yeah. Some of you are like, oh man, that's a long time. Um, or if you're, if you're like me, you're just an American who has absolutely zero ties to anything Irish, you just have a reason to wear green and another reason to party. I mean, that's pretty much what St. Patrick's Day is for most Americans. But when you bring up the idea of St. Patrick's Day and the Irish, my mind immediately goes to the idea of luck, okay? And you get the luck of the Irish, and we, we think, there it is, and, and we, you know, this whole idea of, of luck and in you know, we tell people good luck, we say it all the time, we say, you know, that was bad luck or good luck, and, and it's really an idea that we really kind of believe in. We believe in, like, there's just some sort of force that's just luck, and, and our lives, lives are blessed by it, and, and we, you know, we, we play it out because there's certain superstitions that we follow. We, we, we think that, well, I can't go this way, or I've got to, you know, throw this over my uh, right shoulder or left shoulder or something like that, and some of y'all are already like, that's not how it goes, okay? It's salt, and it goes over, I don't even know what shoulder it goes over. Um, but we have these superstitions that we actually believe have some sort of force. And listen, if you don't think, uh, if you don't like the word luck, let me throw out a couple other words for you. Maybe it's a word like fate. You put your, your, your idea and, and your foundation is built around this word fate, or maybe it's destiny. Now, you can't really say destiny without like a loud whisper, because it's a very dramatic word. You know, like, it's my destiny. I don't, I don't just me? That's fine. Um, or this one, karma. We, we, we have good karma. We've got bad karma. I mean, you better watch out and you better pay it forward because you don't want any bad karma or good fortune, right? I, you better believe I'm opening that fortune cookie scene and what it says. It, it better say something, something good, something positive. And, and we really base, some of these are silly and sometimes we giggle, but if we're honest, these things really can shape how we look at relationships, how we look at life, how we look at uh, morals and ethics and, and our work. It really kind of becomes this foundational thing in our lives. But the problem is, is that over time, these don't really last. They don't, they don't really hold up. They don't really hold any weight. They kind of fall through. And you might be here, and, and you're here, and you're going, you know, life's pretty good right now. I've got, I've got good karma. I've got good luck. I'm doing pretty well. And you think, as long as I'm good to people, as long as I'm, I'm friendly, as long as I'm uh, kind and I pay it forward, people will be good to me too. God will bless my life. And that's when we kind of throw the God card in there, right? God's going to bless me. If I'm good to people, if I do this, this, and this to be a good person, then I'm going to be blessed and people are genuinely going to like me. But the problem, what happens is, is that sometimes that's not always the case. Sometimes we get somebody who used to be our friend, not only are they not our friend anymore, but now they're just attacking our reputation. Now they're just trying to tear us down. And we don't even really know why. Like, well, I thought to be a good friend, you had to be a good friend. And that's what I was trying to do. Why are they all of a sudden turning on me? And in fact, it's, it's impacting my job now. 
People, I mean, I got demoted or I got fired or I have to leave now because of all these rumors that this person is, is, is spreading about me and I don't really know what to do. I mean, where is God? We bring God back up like, God, where are you? I thought you were supposed to take care of me. I thought you were supposed to take care of my, my family. And we kind of get this bitter attitude because these ideas are not holding up. We thought that we knew this thing about life, but it's just kind of falling through. And if you grew up in church or uh, you, you know, call yourself a Christ follower, and even if you don't, you know, you're just kind of checking out God today and what this whole thing is about. The church word that we kind of throw in with these other terms is the word faith. And it, if we, you know, we're having a conversation, we say, no, faith and luck aren't the same thing, but we treat them very similarly. And we think that faith kind of goes along with, with luck and, and karma and destiny and that they're tied hand in hand. But what we'll see, though, is that that's not really the faith that's described by Jesus and by the New Testament writers in the Bible, that it's very, very different. In fact, this kind of faith, we can, we can describe it as circumstantial faith, that our circumstances will determine our idea of faith. And we all have a tendency to lean towards circumstantial faith. And circumstantial faith means if, if my circumstances are good, God is good. If things are going rough, God who? I, he obviously doesn't know me. He doesn't like me. My circumstances are bad. And so our circumstances begin to define our idea of faith and our concept of God. And so there's, there's a few problems, though, with circumstantial faith. And, and, and honestly, when we use circumstantial faith, it's always we use God as a last resort, don't we? When things are chaotic, when things are going nuts, that's when we're like, God, please. And we are, we are I'm going to church this Sunday. I got to talk to God about some things. I got I, I to gotta tell God about how I feel about this. It's usually when things are falling apart, when the job's not going well, or the, the, the relationship's falling apart, or the sickness is back. That's when we are like, God, we're here now. Haven't seen you since Christmas, but I'm here now. I know Easter's coming up. I'm going to be there that day too. Or we also like to bring God up in this situation when, when we're, ready for, we're ready for love, we're ready for a marriage. Like, God, I think she likes me. Please make her my wife. Make her fall in love with me, Lord, please, right? Or it, whether it's a job, we have a job opportunity that could be coming up and just say, God, I really need this job. And God, if you give me this job, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to start just looking at my Bible. I might even download the Bible app. But God, give me that. I'm not going to drink anymore. God, I promise. And then, you know, we get the job. And we're like, yes, it worked. And somebody comes along and says, hey, congratulations on the job. Let's go out for a drink. Okay. You know, and then, then we go. And we think that's how God works. But there's a few problems with that mindset. There's a few problems with that outlook on faith. And the first problem with circumstantial faith is this, is that we live in a broken world. That if we ever want to see God as good, this world is so broken. And if you're in here, you've experienced that brokenness. Or you know someone who's experienced that brokenness. Or you can see the world in the condition of everything and you say, this world is broken. And when, when you experience broken moment after broken moment, we start asking these tough questions about God. Well, if, if God was really loving, then why didn't my marriage make it? Or if God really cared, why did the sickness come back? And if God really knew what I wanted, why am I still single? I mean, hook it up, Lord, please. And we start asking these questions of like, why am I sad? Why am I depressed? Why is there things like human trafficking that exist, God? And we get this idea and we really start to question whether God is loving or if God even cares. 
So that's the first problem with circumstantial faith. The second problem is this. Our personal choices get in the way. We, we, we kind of go about our lives and we have different seasons of life and we, we have different lifestyles. I mean, it's 2019 and things have just changed from when we were little. I mean, we grew up learning about ideas of, of, you know, cheating is bad, lying is bad, it's good to be honest. I mean, right now, in Tiny Town and Bridge Kids, throughout the year, they're going to learn about things like honesty and integrity and wisdom and how to apply that in our lives. And we're like, man, that's great for children, but man, I grew up. I've got a job now. And they seem to reward the shortcuts. They seem to reward the creative money management. And I'm like, well, God, you gave me this. I've got I've to support my family. I mean, it's not, not going to hurt anybody that much. And it's almost like our faith gets in the way. And like, all right, God, I came to church on Sunday, but now it's Monday. Back off. And we think, no, God, I don't, I don't want you here. Or what about, the, what about uh, sex? That's a, that's a, it's 2019 now. And we grew up and we hear and we read about guys like Jesus and Peter and Paul and then saying how sex is intended for the context of marriage. And, and we believe that, but then, you know, we grow up and we go out with some friends one night and the, the topic comes up and, and we say those views and it's almost like a record scratch that just stops and we're like, really? You believe that? 2019, bro. Get with the program. Nobody, nobody thinks that way. It's 2019. Or, you know, and they're, they're like, you're, obviously you're single because if you had a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you would be thinking differently. And it does change the game. When, when we get in that relationship, we're like, yeah, I mean, I believe that at one time in my life, you know, sex before marriage is not what we're supposed to do. But, I mean, it's 2019. I mean, we need to move in together. Or, you know, some people are, are dumb enough to say things like, well, got to take it for a test drive. What is that? Who came up with that? If you've ever said that, take your hand, smack the back of your head. It's fine. We love you. No perfect people allowed. But we think, well, no, God, I mean, we're in love. And our faith kind of gets in the way. And we only use our faith when it's convenient for us. We only want to use our faith when it makes sense for us. And usually that's from the hours of 10.30 to 11.30 on Sunday. But other than that, it's, it's just very circumstantial. And our personal choices can get in the way of our faith. So it's very circumstantial. Last one is this. That it's too fragile. It's, it, it'll break too easy. You know why? Because we can't see past today. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. In our situation, any kind of against any resistance, and we are too emotional to handle it. We don't really know why bad things happen. We don't know why resistance is happening. We don't know why conflict is here. I mean, think of it like this. I remember when my, my oldest son, my only son, he's older than the sisters, okay? There it is. He'll be 12 this year. But when he was four, I had to take him to get his shots. Now, I had taken him to get his shots before, but when they're an infant, you're like, oh, that's so sad, you know, when they're, they're crying, and they're like, the, you can like trick them, you know, like, hey, we're going to get ice cream, all you need. And they're like, yeah, ow, ice cream, and you can trick them, you know. The four-year-old shots, though, change the game because he's older now. He's thinking logically. He knows that the doctor, they poke him with sharp things, and it hurts. And so we're, we're in there, and we're doing, you know, checkup is doing great, and the nurse leaves, and I can just tell he's kind of nervous. He's a very cautious boy, as it is. And so the nurse comes in, and it's, it's really awful because <laughs> the nurse like, has his legs pinned up against the table, and then she instructs me to hold him down like he's trying to escape a coffin. And so I'm, I've got him, and he's just like, Dad, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? 
And so he's talking to me now as before, you know, you were just like, trick him, trick him, trick him, trick him, ice cream. Now he's like, Dad, what's happening? What are you doing? Get, why is she, I can't move my legs. Ow, Dad, why is she hurting me? Dad, I'm so sorry. What are you doing? What did I do wrong, Dad? And I'm just like, I need to punch this lady in the face to prove to my son that I love him. You know, and I'm like, buddy, it's okay. Daddy loves you. And he's like, no, you don't, Dad. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. It was, it was very traumatic for me. And honestly, I made a commitment that day that their mother would take them to get their shots the rest of the time. <laughs> Can't do it. But, I mean, honestly, though, isn't that how we treat God? We get the, the smallest resistance, the small pain, and we're like, God, what are you doing? I thought I was doing everything right because our view is so small. We can only see right in front of us. We can only see the next step. But yet God is outside of time, and he can see past, present, in future. He has the big picture and he knows, yes, I know this circumstance hurts right now, but you have no idea the impact it's not going to only have on you, but your family and generations to come. Circumstantial faith is too fragile. And as we look at this and we talk about this, we could probably all come to the same conclusion that circumstantial faith is not a solid foundation. It is not going to sustain us. It is not going to hold up over time. We are going to lose faith. So what's the answer? Well, the answer is simple. It's biblical faith, how the Bible describes and defines faith. But even that can be confusing. It's like, well, I thought we were talking about circumstantial faith. I thought that's what we were discussing here. Well, no, because what we'll see is that biblical faith is quite different. And we need to figure out, too, what it's not. Because I think we have an idea of how the Bible describes faith and how we're supposed to respond to that. But there's a couple things that it's not. And the first thing that it's not is that it's not a formula. Biblical faith is not some formula that we have to figure out, that we have to crack, that, you know, if we pray certain times of day or we show up to church this many times a month and, you know, then we, we get, you know, certain verses tattooed on our bodies and we're like, okay, God's got to like that. I mean, I made it permanent. And, you know, and then we think, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to sing the songs this time. I can't close my eyes like this guy because I don't know the words and I could fake it, I guess. And they raise their hands well, I'm going to go half, you know, right now a bit. And we, and we think that, you know, if, once I do this, once I do that, that at some point, and we do enough right religious things, that God's be like, hey, you cracked the code, blessing. And we think that that's, that's how God works. But it's not some formula. And it's also not some force where we have, like, if I just concentrate enough, my faith can move mountains. And we think if we just say, if I believe, I believe it, God. I have faith. I don't know what your plan is, but I'm going to believe it into existence. God, I'm going to believe that she's going to be my wife. Make her my wife, Lord. You know how many girls I prayed to be my wife in high school? Oh, my Lord, it was pathetic. But we think that. We're like, God, I believe she's the one. And he's like, no, that would be a terrible idea. She would be awful for you. You would be awful for her. No, we're not doing that. No, but God, I, I have faith. And I was like, well, if you have faith, I guess I'll, all right. Dearly beloved, you know what type of thing? But that's not, that's not how it works. And we'll even say things like, well, we prayed for this situation, and, and we prayed, and it worked. And let, let me just be real clear for you. Prayer does not force God to work. He is already working. Okay? Prayer is our opportunity and our invitation to come alongside and trust God with what he is already doing. We can't faith God and sway God to do something. We don't have some sort of force. 
and we hear stories, you know, of people who hope something happens and hope that, that it overcomes, and you even ask them about it, and they'll say, well, we just trusted Jesus, and, and we had enough faith that, that it turned out all right. It's going to ask, is that how it really works? That if we get enough faith, that now all of a sudden, if it's just enough, we can make miraculous things happen, or we can have a healing, or bring somebody who's on the brink of death to live life. Now listen, God does miracles. God does heal people. But it's not something that we force him to do because of our faith. He is already working. So biblical faith is not some sort of force that we can now sway God into doing something. Third thing is this. It's not a belief. Now you see this, you're like, okay, I'm kind of tracking with you, but this seems a little controversial. All right, but here, let me, t- let me tell you like this. In our English language, we use words like belief, faith, confidence, and hope interchangeably in regular talk. So if we were to have a conversation about the Astros, like, you know what, I hope, I hope they bring the title back to Houston. Man, I, I have faith in their talent. I'm confident in the guys that they have on the roster. And, you know, I believe that they're going to destroy the Red Sox every time they play them because that team is stupid. <laughs> I didn't say that first hour, but it just comes out, right? But you know, we, we use all these things, and we say these words, but then when we bring it to the, to the spiritual part of things, we're like, oh, yeah, confidence? I, I, hope, I have hope that that'll happen. You know, I, confidence, I have faith. But what we're going to discover is that they are very different in how the Bible defines faith. Now, in order to get a definition of faith from, from the Bible, we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. So if you've got your Bibles, or you've got your phone app, or if not, we're going to show it on the screen right here. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, Hebrews 11 is known as the faith chapter. It describes all these different people uh, who had incredible faith. And the book of Hebrews as a whole is written to a group of Christ followers who were Jewish. Now, if you were a, a Jew who put your faith in Christ, you had persecution coming from everywhere. The Romans didn't like you. They were always trying to enslave you or crucify you or throw you in an arena with lions. Or you had the Jewish leaders who just killed Jesus and so anybody who was going to believe in Jesus, they were going to get after you too. So they had persecution coming at them from everywhere. And then they thought that Jesus was going to return very soon. Not like in the next few years. They were like the next few minutes. Like, is it lunch? Jesus should be getting here any time. I mean. So what they did is that they sold everything. And they were just kind of sitting there like, okay, Jesus, mortgage is due and I don't have any money. <laughs> Come back now, right? But it didn't happen. And so you got heavy persecution and a delayed arrival of Jesus, and they're starting to question things. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling them, don't give up on faith because of your circumstances. That's not what our foundation is. Our foundation is on a person, not on whether it's a good day or a bad season. That's not how we're defining it. He goes into Hebrews 11, and he says this in chapter or in verse 1. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for. So right off the bat, we see that there's a difference between hope and faith. That faith is being sure of what we hope for. Parents in the room, you either remember when your children were this age or you have children this age. Summer's coming up, so swimming season comes up. And I remember when Mike Noah, again, Mr. Caution, Mr. No Risk, he, he couldn't swim, you know, when he was like two or three, and he wanted to jump in the water. He wanted to jump in the deep end, you know, got that sense of adventure. And so I'm here, and I'm, I'm ready to catch him. My man ain't jumping on hope. He's not jumping in and saying, I hope Dad catches me. 
In fact, he's talking me through. He's like, all right, Dad, now listen. If, if you don't catch me, I'm going to drown. And I'm like, okay, come on, buddy. And sometimes I would just do this. He's like, nope, I'm going to need both hands, Pop. Because he knows he's got to be sure that Dad is going to catch him. He's not jumping in on hope. Faith is taking hope on that next step. That it's not just a hope that it happens, but you are absolutely sure that it's going to happen. Let me, let me explain it like this. Suppose I give you a call, and I'm going to ask you out to lunch next week. Say, hey, let's go to lunch next week. Uh, you didn't pick up. I'll leave you a voicemail. Hey, next week, next Tuesday, uh, you know, we're going to this place. I hope you can make it. When I hang up the phone, I hope you get that message. I hope that you show up. But I'm not, I'm not sure. And how do I make that jump from hope to faith? Because faith is, is being sure. And look, he keeps going in verse 1. He goes, and it is certain of what we do not see. Okay, now see is not something that we physically see, but he's talking about you are certain of something that hasn't happened yet, that it is in fact going to happen. You are sure and certain. So when I hang up that phone, I need something to move me from hope that you're going to be there to sure that you're going to be there, to being certain that you're going to be there. And something has got to bridge that gap between hope and faith. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, he's building this big case, and he's about to give us all these examples. And he starts in verse 3, and he says, By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Now, that's, that's a huge statement. It wasn't made from material. God spoke it into existence. It's not like God was working. It's like, anybody seen the snow? I'm almost done with the Himalayas. No, no. That's not what he did. He spoke it into existence. He said, let there be light. Let there be atmosphere. Let there be animals, vegetation. Let's make man in our image. And then he spoke it into existence. So he says, by faith we understand that the universe, we'll go back, that the universe, yeah, we'll go back one, Mark. Yeah, there you go. We understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, how do we know that's true? Do we believe that into existence? Because if you, if you believe in the Genesis account of creation, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, what makes that true? Is it, is it our faith that makes it true? No. The writer is, is, is setting up a case for what faith truly is. And so he goes into the lives of people. There's something bigger at play here. And then he goes into Noah. He goes, by faith, Noah when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. So why did Noah build the boat? Or was just sitting there just going around, man, this, this world is messed up. These people got to go. They need to die. God, I'm going to need you to kill everybody, okay? And hey, guys, we're going to get faith. We're going to pray. We're going to make this, you know, for real. We're going to make it official. We're going to pray, God, we just hope that you kill everybody. Everybody's wicked. I don't know what happened, but uh, we, we want you to flood it. We want you to flood the earth, okay? So what we're going to do to show you that we have faith is that we're going to build a big boat, biggest boat that's ever been, you know, seen boys go start chopping trees down because we got to build the boat. You know, we're going to make God flood this place. And girls, go over there and get two kinds of every animal, and we're going to put them on the boat because I mean, the animals haven't really done anything wrong. Um, but, and so we're going to do this, and God, we believe it. We believe you're going to kill everybody. And it's almost like God's up there going, you know what? I never thought of it like that. This world is kind of bad. And, I mean, you got a boat, so if you want me to flood it, if you're ready, 
you know, type thing. <laughs> get there in a second. No, that's not what happened. That's not how it happened. Who initiated this idea? God did. He says, by faith when Noah was warned, God said, hey, it's going to rain. Noah said, got it, building a boat. He says, by faith, Noah knew that God was going to do what he said. And the next example is this. In 8, he goes, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So God shows up to Abraham. He's like, all right, look, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I just need you to start walking that way. I need you to pack up everything. And, and Abraham was like, well, we've kind of got a home here and everything's kind of great. But if you say you're going to make me into a great nation, I, we're going. I believe that you're going to do that. And so Abraham gets up, moves his whole family and goes out towards Canaan. And he says, I, I believe, God, that you're going to make a great nation out of my family. It was by faith. He trusted that God. Wh whose idea was it for him to move? It was God's. God initiated that. And he goes through all these other examples. It's an incredible, incredible stories. He talks about Moses. He talks about Abraham's wife, Sarah. He talks about Joshua. He talks about this lady named Rahab and how their faith was just an incredible, incredible thing. And he kind of sums them up here in, in verse 13. This is what he says. He goes, all these people, okay, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Meaning that Every single day that they trusted that God was God and that he was going to do what he promised to do. It says they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Even though they didn't receive it. And the main promise that we're talking about here is that God would send a Messiah to save the world of their sins. And they lived every day believing that God was going to come through on that promise. What, what bridged their gap from hope to faith? It was the promise of God. They never saw Jesus. A lot of them died before Jesus even got here. But they trusted that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. So that's why we see by faith, Noah, when, God, you're going you're to send a flood? Okay, I'm going to start building a boat. God said, that's faith. That's faith. He says, listen, Abraham, I need you to move. I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham's like, I, I believe that you can do that, Lord. He goes. So what is biblical faith? It's two parts. First is this, that God is who he said he is. We have confidence. We trust that God is exactly who he says he is. And the second part is very important, that he is capable, that he will do everything promised that he would do, that he is a faithful God, that he is a God who doesn't make false promises. That he is a faithful God. And if he promises it, he's going to come through. So again, Noah's like, you can make it rain. I absolutely believe that you can flood this earth. I'm going to get busy. And Abraham says, man, I'm 100. My wife is 90. I don't know how we're going to make a nation because we're old for babies. But I believe in you. So we're going to start walking. God was like, that's faith. So what does that look like for us? What does that look like? in our lives, in our faith journey. Well, it means that you can come to God about anything. You can ask him for the big stuff. You can pray for, for things to happen. You can pray for small things to happen. And you can have hope that he can absolutely do it. 
Not because we, we have some formula that we're following. Not because we, we've believed him into, uh, you know, we've persuaded him because of our massive amount of faith. That's not what it is. No, but it's simply the confidence that we believe he is God and he is capable of doing what he promised. Because when we believe in that, we believe that he so loved us that he gave his only son for us. So that we could experience his love on such a deep level. That we would know what it's like to have relationship with God. And listen, when we come to him for things and things that we hope for, sometimes, man, he's going to say yes. But sometimes he's going to say no. And guess what? Even when it's no, we can trust that he is God and he has a bigger view on things. There might be other things in play here with what, we're, with what we are praying for, with what we are hoping for. Faith goes well beyond hope. Because we say, God, I trust you. No matter what my circumstance is, I trust that you are going to do what you promised to do. Hebrews 11 has got incredible stories. Hall of Faith, the faith chapter. I want to give you one more story before we close. That it's not in Hebrews 11, but I think it's an honorable mention. And it has to do with a guy named Jonathan. Now we find this story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And Jonathan was the son of Saul. And Saul was the very first king appointed in Israel. A young nation, Saul is the very first king. But the problem with Saul is that he wasn't the best king. In fact, he often disobeyed God. He did things his own way. He didn't really trust God, so he had to take things in his own hands. But it was just straight-up disobedience. And because of that disobedience, Israel was in a war with these people called the Philistines. Okay? Let me make a connection. Philistines, Goliath was a giant Philistine, right? And David later on, you know, would, would get him. But they're at war with this group called the Philistines. And because of Saul's disobedience, the Israel's army had kind of scattered and they're in hiding because they believe that Philistines are about to pounce. Well, Jonathan, who is Saul's son, sees that their situation is not good. In fact, there could be straight up panic with what's going on. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. He gets his armor bearer, just the guy who's responsible for carrying his shield. He doesn't tell his dad what he's doing, and he goes off, and this is what he does. He says, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. So the Philistines have got this little, this little outpost, just a few people there. And he says, let's go over there to those people who don't believe in God. They don't, they don't have God, okay? And look what he says, perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or a few. He's ready to pick a fight with people. There's a lot more of them than he has got him and his armor bearer, the guy who's trained to carry stuff. We don't even know if he's skilled in fighting. But he's like, man, let's go over there. Maybe God will be with us. Now, you read this, and I'm like, that's the dumbest plan I've ever seen. Like, bro, you are trying to die. But look what he says. He said, man, perhaps the Lord will be with us because guess what? Nothing hinders the God. God is capable of doing anything, whether he has a huge army or just two of us. God says, that's, that's all the faith I need, that you know that I am God and I'm fully capable of doing anything in your circumstance. Because Jonathan is just saying, man, I don't know if it's going to work out, but I know who God is. He knows God's got a great track record. He would have heard about Noah and how God saved Noah. He definitely would have heard about Abraham and how God began a nation with two old people. He definitely would have heard stories about Moses 
a guy with a stuttering problem who was a murderer that God still used to free millions of Jewish slaves and lead them out of Egypt. He would have heard the story about how God opened up a body of water called the Red Sea so that they could escape Egypt. He would have heard about the guy who came after Moses, Joshua, and how he delivered so many battles for Joshua. He would say, man, I don't know how my situation is going to work out, but I know God's track record. I know that God can do whatever he wants to do. So perhaps he'll be with us. That's, imagine if we live like that in our relationship with God. Imagine no matter what our circumstance is, and listen, I don't know your situation. Man, and if you're in pain, I'm so sorry. If you're just dealing with hardship, man, I'm so sorry. And, and I, I can't answer the, the obvious question is why. Why is this happening? I, I, I can't answer that. But I know who God is. I know his, his track record. And I know that he is God. And that he can absolutely get through any situation. That he is fully capable of getting through any situation. And guess what? Sometimes he does. Sometimes he, he leads you up and, and we can wake up and just say, man, perhaps God is willing today. Perhaps God can lead me out of this hard season. Perhaps God can help me through this sickness. And maybe he will, but guess what? Sometimes he may not. But that doesn't mean that he's not God. That doesn't mean that he still can't do something incredible that we aren't even aware of. And even when he says no, even if he doesn't do another thing for us, the last time I checked, he still sent his son who lived a perfect life who was crucified for my mistakes. And he rose from the dead so that my sins will be forgiven, so that I could experience love, so that I could experience hope, so that I could experience freedom in an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. And it's because of that we, we just say, man, you know what, God? I don't know how you're going to deal with my situation, but I know if you helped all those other people, I know you're going to look out for me. I know you love me, God. And it's because of that confidence and that faith that we can come to God for anything. And we say, God, you know what? I need help. I need, I need healing. I need my marriage to heal. I need my kids to heal. Please work on my anger issues. Please help my addiction. We can come to him for anything and say, God, perhaps you'll be with me today because you are able and you are a loving God. And guess what? Sometimes he is. Right in that moment. He's willing right in that moment. And sometimes he's willing later. And sometimes God just says no. Again, for reasons that we may not have all the information. But he says, I'm going to get you through this. Because I'm over and over in scripture we see that he promises that he is with us always. So how do we bridge, take that step from hope to faith? It's through the promises of God. That we believe that God is who he says he is. And we are confident that he can do what he has promised to do. So you can walk out of here, St. Patrick's Day, 2019, knowing that God is with you. You can have confidence, not in yourself, not even in your situation. Definitely probably not because if it's, if it's tough right now. But you know that God has given a promise and his name is Jesus. And it's through Jesus that we can have hope, that we can have love, that we can have faith in a way that we never thought possible. Let me pray for us.